Welcome to Charles Stanley Radio, podcasts providing economic updates combined with some light-hearted conversation during this time of uncertainty. We talk to people from across Charles Stanley to get their insights and recommendations for life in lockdown. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Charles Stanley. I'm joined here today by John Redwood, our Chief Global Economist, and by Anna Appleton-Cole, who's one of our directors of the regional investment management business. Welcome, both of you. The US election is probably one of the most important events going on this year. It matters because, you know, it's by far the largest stock market by value in the world. And it has many of the companies listed there. They're the vanguard of the digital revolution that is taking place now. As many observers know, it's the, this tech space which really is leading the charge forward in the recovery from the COVID-19 sell-off. Presidential election is therefore the most significant political event for investors. And in this podcast, we're going to be looking at the potential developments in the Trump second term and what a Joe Biden White House would mean. Polls are currently showing that Democrat Joe Biden has been leading the race for some time. But we've got 70 days until the election is held. And as Harold Wilson once famously said, a week in a long time in politics. So anything really could happen over the next few months. Two and a half months is an eternity in politics. But things are looking quite good for Joe Biden now, aren't they, John? Yes, they are. I mean, if you look at the crucial swing states um, that you have to take in order to be sure of being president, uh, we see that Mr. Trump is just slightly ahead in, in Alaska, Texas, Iowa and Georgia. And all the other ones we see modest leads or stronger leads for Joe Biden. So he's looking good in New Hampshire, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and above all in Florida. Now, it matters a lot to win the larger states. So Florida and Texas are pretty crucial in the swing states because with the American election, it isn't just winning the popular vote. Indeed, you can even lose the popular vote and still get the presidency. You have to win the electoral college vote. And there are so many votes per state and the more populous states have more votes. So not only do you look at the swing states, but you particularly look at the big swing states. Now, the, the Trump camp, of course, are not giving up. And this week, they're having their convention. Uh, they're telling us that there's a lot of shy Trump voters out there, people who are a little bit ashamed to tell their friends they vote Trump, but in the privacy of the ballot box, they're going to do so. And they point out to us that, of course, Trump is ahead on the economic ratings. If you ask people, would Trump or Biden do a better job for your employment, your income, for the recovery of the economy. They think Trump would do a better job. Biden polls a lot better on many of the other issues. So the Trump camp say, as long as we can get the election primarily back onto the economy, uh, we're in with a, a reasonable chance. But at the moment, all the commentators, all the posters are saying Biden's got a solid lead. People are uh, very worried about COVID-19. They're interested in the personality and style of government issues where he polls better. And so as investors, we need to plan for a Biden presidency whilst keeping open the possibility that there's a late run from the incumbent. Yeah. So, Anna, let's go to you now because you, you're a director of our investment management business, but you also have experience on the side of the pond, too. Indeed. So if you could give some insight there, because uh, Donald Trump has claimed that if he loses the next election, the stock market will crash. Is, he, is there any truth in that? Um, I, I wouldn't begin to 
to actually take its face value any comments from any politicians, frankly. But what is truthful in that statement, which I don't know if people fully appreciate, is just how deeply embedded the performance of the stock market is in the American psyche. I mean, culturally, in the States, you will have everybody from kids still finishing their high school diplomas to grandmothers and great-grandmothers, everyone to a man and woman is interested in the stock market and invests in some form or the other. So much more than I can say of my my newly adopted home, uh, if I think about it. So this tug on the conscience of Americans about what is going on in the stock market is a very, very big tug. And I don't think we can underestimate that. No, and I'd like to sort of highlight that as well, because earlier in my career, I spent a lot of time dealing with American retail investors before I dealt with British ones, if you want me to be honest. And I'm quite happy to say that American investors and the average American is much more sophisticated investor than the average British person. They're much more interested in it. And it does really matter. I'm sort of backing you up on that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so You weren't talking about our clients there, though, Gary, were you? Oh, I no, think I, our clients are oh, very, very interested. <laughs> my history is through, through tip sheets like the penny share guide and stuff like that so that's those, those are the people that i was talking to but the stock market could fall for real good reasons not only um is there the corporation tax is expected to be increased because uh, some may argue that donald trump did a bit of a giveaway at the start of his first term but there's also expenditure as well such as the tax rises the green agenda is, is one of the, the core policies of Mr. Biden and the Democrats. Uh, and there's lots of sort of, you know, soul, honest brownie points in there. But it's expensive as well, isn't it, John? Yes, indeed, Gary. As you rightly say, the, the markets will start weighing up the advantages and disadvantages of a Biden presidency the longer he stays ahead in the polls and the uh, longer they have to wait to see any signs of strong revival in in the Trump political position. As you say, um, there would be a big increase in taxes on richer people, those who tend to save and have stock market investments. There would be a big increase in corporate taxes, which means that all things being equal, shares should be less valuable. If you put a 7 8% tax on companies, you'd expect their value to fall proportionately because the shareholder is going to get less money by way of reinvestment capital in the company and dividend, and the, the state gets more. And the green agenda, it helps some parts of the stock market, but it is a big negative for many others. The, the Trump recovery and strong economic performance uh, up to this spring uh, was above all majored on carbon. And he was promoting oil and gas and fracking and coal. Uh, he went for cheap energy. That allowed him to get a lot more investment into things that depend on cheap energy from petrochemicals through to heavy energy using industries. So that was the the idea of Trump to promote carbon-based industry at a time when Europe was going in the other direction. Biden wants to reverse all that and join Europe. So there would be a down rating of all those sectors, heavy industry, oil dependent, gas and coal dependent, particularly oil and gas extraction. And there would be presumably a further fillip for renewables and electric technology and electric vehicles. Stock market's been doing quite a lot of this already in in the run-up to the presidential election because it feels that's the way the world is going and those trends are to some extent baked in. Uh, But 
above all, though, the, the markets will be determined by what the Federal Reserve Board does. And yes. I suspect the Fed will do something similar uh, for Joe Biden that it's been doing for Donald Trump if, if Joe Biden wins. And at the moment, the Fed is promoting a high stock market. That happens to suit Mr. Trump. But if Mr. Biden became president, he'd welcome it as well. Quite. Um, and so um, I don't really know the, uh, the arcane intricacies of U.S. politics. Um, so if we talk to Anna, it's, you know, I, I'm hearing that if, if, if the Democrats do get the presidency, there's a very strong possibility that they will both of the houses as well. Is that is that true? And if they do, you know, isn't that a very radical agenda that we could expect if they have that much power? Frankly, Gary, I don't think we can really think about the word radical in the answer to your question, to be honest. You know, what we have in the Biden-Harris ticket is, is certainly not a radical left leaning it's a, it, it genuinely is a, a blend and a sort of center left platform now it is fair to say that certainly since even the midterms back in 2018 that we started to see a significant sea change in terms of both obviously the house was won by the democrats then and the senate the, the republicans still were able to maintain their majority in the senate but that was the beginning of, of what looks as if a, is a swing a, a change in the um, in both the House and the Senate to move more towards a Democratic majority, I think it's quite possible that we could see both the House and Senate have Democratic majorities, even if Donald Trump became president and won the election. Um, and in a way, I think that would be a very very interesting scenario to think about. Maybe not very likely, but in terms of what that would certainly mean for markets, for the the additional challenges to getting any legislation through in the states, I, I think that might be a very interesting scenario to think about. Mm. That sounds like a America rudderless for four years to me. Does that, is, is that fair? I certainly think so, yes. Yeah. Okay, any, any more th thoughts on a Biden win, John? Well, I think um, the Biden-Harris ticket is pretty standards, and, and I would pray an aid pretty high taxation agenda, which requires an awful lot of top-down generated change in, in how people heat their homes and travel around and uh, with quite a big impact on the energy industries, both positive and negative in the way I've been describing. There's also the issue of whether the Biden-Harris ticket got dragged in a leftwards direction if they do get access to power, because clearly the Sanders camp, uh, the Elizabeth Warren camp, uh, they are they have a challenge for the presidency that they will be saying to biden harris this is our party too we control a lot of the grassroots uh, you need to go in that direction also now before we um <clears throat> uh, before we're going to consider a potential donald trump victory uh let's just have a look at relations with china should mr biden win because uh, they, they just seem to be as if there will be a massive change from the from the issues we've seen with the, the trade war and the standing up to technology stealing that's been going on since 2016. I mean, this is a major part of the Trump agenda that the Democrats will quite happily carry the torch forward. I yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think um, this was one of the few areas where Mr. Trump wanted to push the American administration in the direction that many of the officials and the uh, people behind the scenes wanted to go in. I think the, the State Department uh, and the Defense Department were, were willing to go in this direction. They'd identified China as a 
a major challenger or threat to the United States of America. And we're looking forward to a president who took a rather tougher line on the Chinese problem. If you look at what Mr. Biden and his colleagues have been saying, um, they've been a bit less aggressive on trade and tariffs, but they've been more aggressive on civil liberties and politics. Uh, the Democrats are very offended by the takeover of Hong Kong by the Chinese central administration. They are extremely worried about the position of the Muslim minority in Western China. Uh, and they share with, with Mr. Trump uh, a concern about the uh, military buildup in the South China Sea, the taking over of atolls and islands and turning them into defense establishments and the assertion of much more control over waters way beyond strict territorial waters of mainland China. So I think there will be quite a lot of continuity. Uh, the other thing Mr. Biden has said is that he wishes to engage America's allies rather more than Mr. Trump has done. Um, I think the Trump camp would say, well, Trump's been trying to lead the allies, but maybe he's been going a bit fast for them. I think Biden thinks he will be a friendlier face with, with NATO, will we'll be using the Five Eyes grouping uh, more uh, to bring in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, UK uh, into a common strategy. Building what you've been talking about, Gary, building the, um, the splinter net that there will be a, a digital world on largely American technology with help from their friends in Europe and Australia and New Zealand and so forth. And there will be a Chinese-led system with rather more control over the people using it. Uh, and the two will be in conflict. And I think that will continue under a Biden presidency. Yeah. And, and so, Anna, if, if the, the Democrats are focusing on this human rights issue, I almost get the sense that this is going to get the hackles of Beijing up even more than the trade issue has done so far. Do you think that will be a fair point as well? I certainly would think that that's, I mean, that would not surprise me at all. Any direct challenge about uh, the way Beijing chooses to manage its society is, regardless of what quarter it comes from, is is always met with disdain. So I would certainly think that that would continue. So um, if, uh, if so we don't really see any any major changes with the relationship with China. So this is, this is a big issue for investors and it isn't going to go away. So... So, so we were part of that now. Um, and then we actually go on to Trump's second term. You know, so how could Donald Trump win from here? You know, Mr. Biden's about 10 points ahead in the polls. What needs to happen in, our, in the next two and a half months to secure Donald Trump? He's much desired second term, because, you know, he really wants this. So what's going to give him his gift? Yeah, it's a long shot, isn't it? But uh, um, a lot has to go right for him. He'll need a bit of luck. Um, I think, first of all, um, the COVID-19 problem needs to subside, either because the measure's already taken or under its own natural momentum. Uh, and if in two months' time, there's much less of the disease around uh, and the social distancing is being relaxed and there's no major parts of the United States in lockdown or threat of lockdown and, and people start to relax about COVID-19, uh, then one of the Democrats' great cards uh, is reduced uh, and Trump can get people much more onto the subject of economic recovery. And all these governments around the world are, are battling with this awful twin objective. They want to cut the deaths and the disease, but they also want to promote livelihoods and recovery. And it is a very difficult balance to get right. Uh, and any incumbent is at risk uh, for not having got the balance right in the view 
a lot of voters. So something needs to go right on COVID-19. Um, maybe there need to be more gaffes from Mr. Biden. Um, he has made a few gaffes in the past. They're not allowing him to do many interviews. There's going to be the interesting question of whether Biden wants to turn up for the debates and how he, how he looks through the debates. And I think the Trump campaign will relentlessly behind the scenes be using the dark art of politics to be asking the question whether a 77-year-old who'll be 78 were he to become president uh, is really at the right age and stage of life to take on the most demanding political job in the world, bar none, uh, and rolling forward to what might happen for four years later. Uh, so that too could become an issue. Um, and so if Mr. Trump wins, then there's going to be, there's going to be generally business-friendly pol uh, politics. We're not going to get any more tax rises from these policies. But, you know, who are they going to be the major beneficiaries? Certainly the oil and gas sector is. You know, we've got BP and Shell over here announcing these very expensive and very ambitious decarbonisation plans. There'll be a vacuum there, won't there, for US companies to move in and, and Mr Trump will be waving them, waving them along with a fanfare. Yes, indeed. I mean, he, he will carry on with his cheap carbon policies, trying to exploit what he thinks is a weakness uh, in the the Western countries that take the climate change issue very seriously and believe we do need to transform things much more quickly than Mr. Trump does. So uh, he will want the American economy to recover, particularly in the industrial areas, the Rust Belt areas, based on access to cheap energy for industrial track processes. And it would be more of the same. It would be re relentless promotion of more jobs, better paid jobs, more, more jobs and training for those who've lost out through through past phases of um, structural change in economies. But I don't think he will ignore the, the high-tech revolution either, because uh, America is is blessed with the, the large multi-billion or trillion dollar companies now uh, that span the free world and a bit more besides uh, with their uh, amazing offers and services. And he will see that as a strength in addition. So I think it will be relentlessly economic-based, transactional-based, um, with more difficult politics and diplomacy around the world of the kind. We've uh, woken up to morning after morning with the latest Trump tweet. But I mean, I'm, I'm coming to the view now that US tech majors are actually sort of going to ha have to act as proxies for the US government in exactly the way the uh, Chinese tech companies have, like Huawei have uh, been backed by the state. So uh, that's why I believe that, um, you know, there won't be any regulation or breaking up of these these major organisations, especially when Mr. Trump is in the White House. So, Anna, if we go to you and talk about all this sort of issue, um, polarisation of views in America is becoming uh, a serious issue. Uh, and we're seeing that Donald Trump, he prefers bilateral discussions rather than multilateral, multilateral agreements. Do you think if Donald Trump wins, then this polarisation is going to get any worse? Because this civil unrest, that has significant economic consequences, doesn't it? Um. I think polarization as a rule is is becoming more of the norm anyway across the developed economies, uh, and it's not just unique to the states, mm -hmm. albeit that Trump's unique personality, larger than life <laughs> personality, plays to that and, and, and amplifies it a bit more in the U.S. context. So I think that this is, is, is would certainly continue under a Trump win, and there, there really is very, very little I can, I can say with regards to, you know, what the, the ultimate uh, outcome of that would be. I'm sure there would be some positives out of all of it. You know, anything that involves getting everybody more engaged in the political process can only be a healthy thing. So, you know, I, I think that that would be healthy. Yeah. Excellent.
Thank you, Anna. Uh, and I just want to ask you um, a few questions, and I'll ask John as well, about clients, you know, uh, the, the people that we, we serve every day, our child standing clients. Are they talking to you when you meet them about the election and the implications? Are they concerned that the sort of tumultuous geopolitical situation in the world could have an effect on their finances over the medium term? Most certainly. I would, I would say that that is it's definitely on their radar. I would even say that it's been on their radar for some time. Again, going back to what I was just mentioning about Donald Trump's larger-than-life personality, I think that that has, has drawn people in and drawn investors in to look at this more closely than they might have looked at, at previous presidencies and, uh, and the way that uh, the economy, uh, et cetera, was being managed. So I think it's been on people's radar for a while. Uh, the confluence of, of various factors, namely you know, Chinese trade war, coronavirus, on top of Trump's already larger-than-life personality certainly does mean that people are paying a lot of attention to this. One of the things I think that is, is quite interesting, though, is that at the same time that all of this is going on, there are a couple of market aspects which are beyond even Trump's control. And one of those is the Green Revolution, which I know John has written about uh, extensively on several occasions. And, and again, this is something that is not going to go away, even if Trump were to win. So again, we're seeing more interest in that, in ESG type of investing and, and what that means for people. And I don't think that will lessen if, if Trump comes in, uh, gets in, in power again. And, and the second issue is, Oh God, I've even forgotten what my second issue is. You see, there you go. <laughs> That's all right. I've just got, I've, I've suddenly got this image in my head as Donald Trump as King Canute, sort of trying to stop green energy coming through with dirty coal behind him <laughs> and just knowing that he's going to fail. Because, you know, really, exactly. he's, back, he's backing steam technology when he really should be getting the electric train. It's, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yep. And, and ultimately, this isn't necessarily a positive thing for America, is it? If, you, no. if you're sticking with the old because it benefits the, 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 your friends, yeah. essentially, because they, you know, it's a little bit of a plutocracy over the other side of the, um, of the channel, I would suggest. Well, so ultimately, possibly. that could be a long-term I, negative. I, I did remember my second issue, sorry. And the second issue, most certainly, which is out of this control, is, is COVID, and, and not yes. just COVID itself, but the way that is going to impact consumer psyche, consumer mentality. And it's still very early days, I think, in terms of how how deeply ingrained that impact will be if we will genuinely be seeing long-term changes in consumer behavior. And with the amount of contribution to US GDP that consumption, personal consumption makes, I think that is that is just something that is way out of his control and that is something that we need to keep an eye on. But that's for the much longer term, I think. And this is an interesting point that John, you've made a few times, is that a lot of Trump's core base are older white men, and these are the same sort of people that are frightened of the the COVID nineteen illness because you know they're the vulnerable people who it could really hit. So there's a very fascinating dynamic in this election, which which is a real uncertainty, isn't it? Yes, it is, uh, and that is one of the worries that the Trump camp must have that some of their core vote. Uh, would be put off by what they think of uh, as his rather more cavalier approach to COVID-19. On the other hand, he is fighting back hard on that issue. And he's saying, well, I, I'm the person who's challenged the doctors and medical profession and the scientists to come up with more remedies and treatments. And he's been trying to force the pace on 
uh, getting drugs approved that will reduce the severity or the incidence of the disease. So he's trying to win back on that issue as well. Super. So I, I'm not thinking of any anything else we should be discussing now. Are, are there any other points that, that you would like to make, Anna? Not really. Nope. <laughs> oh, John? No, I think we've given it a pretty thorough going oh, no, round. No. So I think that's all very good. I don't know who's going to win, but <laughs> well, that is the sensible conclusion. No, our, our conclusion, well, we, you may remember that our strategy committee changed its view. Prior to COVID-19, we thought Trump would win because it was going to be based on the economy and whatever else you thought about the man, there was good, good things on jobs and incomes and all the rest of it. Uh, when COVID-19 came in, it looked as if that was going to be the end of the Trump presidency because of the huge immediate economic damage it did. Uh, and so we, we've switched now to saying it's Biden's to lose. But we still think there's an element of doubt. You can never rule out something surprising happening in this game. Uh, and the Trump camp is certainly going to give it everything they can. And one of the odd things I find is a number of the media who are largely rooting for a Biden presidency have, have been going off to try and interview people who voted Trump in 2016, who are now prepared to come on and say, never again, and I, I'm now a Biden man. And they're actually finding that very difficult. They, they do interview people they call Republicans who don't like Trump, who say they'll vote against him. But quite often, if they probe, the person say, well, I didn't like him in 2016 either. So they weren't a Republican then. So uh, I think there are still quite a lot of shy voters out there and probably quite a lot of undecideds. And so whilst our base case remains that Biden wins because that's what the polls say. Uh, who knows? Something might change. Yes, we have a fascinating few months ahead of us. Thank you very much for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed listening to us out there and join us for our next podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Charles Stanley Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it offered a small escape from life under lockdown. Please subscribe to be kept up to date with our latest releases. If you have any questions or comments about the content covered in today's episode, or any questions you'd like us to address in future episodes, then please do email these to events at charles-stanley.co.uk. Once again, thank you for listening, and as always, stay safe. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Investors may get back less than invested. Past performance is not a reliable guide to the future.